0: morning. I'll be reading from uh, New Living Translation. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. But Jesus knew what they were planning, so he left the area, that area, and many people followed him. He healed all that were sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfillment of prophecy of Isaiah coming concerning him. Look at my servant who I have chosen. He is my beloved who I am pleased, who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed, but will out of a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious, and his name will be the hope of all the world. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, how could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by Feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. He owns his own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So will they condemn you for what you have said? But God, if I am casting out demons, by the Spirit of God. Then the kingdom of God was raised among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in worlds to come. A true... A tree is identified by its fruit, and if a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If the tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. (laughs) You brood of snakes, how could you evil men like you speak what is good and right, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasuries of his good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. One day on day excuse me one day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said teachers we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority but Jesus replied only an evil adulterous generation would demand a miracle sign a miraculous sign But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented for their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. The Queen Sheba will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. When an evil spirit leaves a prison, It goes into leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Jesus was speaking to a crowd. His mother and brothers stood outside, asking for him to speak. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mothers and my brothers anyone who does will of my father in heaven is my brother my sister and my mother
1: let's pray together before we study god's word father in heaven we just ask now that as we come we pray that you will please help us father we actually look out upon our world today and and sometimes father we just shake our heads we don't even know how to how to even begin to begin to understand how quickly things are moving and how it just seems like they're deteriorating around us. And, and we're seeing so much brokenness and, and violence and hurt and hatred and, and just strange things. And Father, we just pray that you will help us and you have helped us and your word is here. And this text today is such practical, practical guidelines for people living In our country right now at this moment and so we pray that you will help us help us to have ears to hear help us to understand help us we pray to and lead us just lead us and guide us and direct us and give us hope we pray and direction in 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 such confusing and strange times thank you Lord Jesus that you came and you taught us and those words were written down preserved and they're actually in our lap right now if we have a Bible with us they're here and your words, help us to know your words and to understand them, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Charles Dickens wrote a, a famous novel called The Tale of Two Cities, and I've entitled this sermon based on that. Uh, and Charles Dickens' novel, The Tale of Two Cities, which is about London and Paris during very disruptive times, which was the French Revolution, which was such a, an ugly and, and bloody moment in human history. Uh, Dickens started the book off with a famous first line, and listen to the first, it's not even the whole first line of Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us we had nothing before us we were all going direct to heaven we were all going direct the other way and i think in some ways when we look at that we think of our time that we live in now and and where we live and i chose the title of tale of two cities because this passage actually is going to show us i wanted to organize our thoughts under two kingdoms i want you to think about two kingdoms as it were as uh, the tale of two kingdoms, I guess we could say. The kingdom of unbelief and the kingdom of belief. The kingdom of a fallen world and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Satan's kingdom, Christ's kingdom. A demonic kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. Or to use the phraseology of the book of Revelation, Babylon and the New Jerusalem. Really, Really, the Bible's entire story from Genesis to Revelation is the story of these two kingdoms at war and this battle that is going on even today. And sometimes the battle is subtle and sometimes the battle is out there in the open. But in this passage today, we're gonna actually see a focus on both of those kingdoms. And I think that this passage really has a lot to say to us today as we try to understand uh, what it is. So let's begin, as it were. Uh, We're gonna actually be looking today at uh, Matthew chapter 12, if your Bible is open there. If you wanna use the Pew Bible, that's page 1125. Um, And we're gonna start in verse 43. Now, Jesus is speaking here. And, uh, but before I read that verse, I wanna give us some context. There has been Jesus, the Son of God has come to earth. He's, he's walking around, the very Son of God is walking around on the earth and he's talking and he's teaching and he's, he's using, he's showing his power and he's casting out demons and he's healing people and this stuff is going on. And then this whole resistance against him begins to start, begins to rise. So let's just look at that in this chapter. Look at verse 12. It says, Behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Here comes that resistance against Jesus. They want to find a fault that they might accuse him. So he he actually heals the guy. And then verse 14, And then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. And then, of course, and we've done a lot of focus on this, verse 24, Jesus does another miracle, casts out a demon, and they say that he's doing this because of Beelzebub, because of Satan, has enabled him to do this. And then Jesus calls them out. In verse 34, he calls them a brood of vipers, a family of snakes, and he says, how you being evil? He's pointing out this evil kingdom. And then in verse 39, Jesus says this, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And so Jesus has been teaching, he's been teaching this, and now he offers an illustration. And this illustration comes out of the strange, mysterious, ugly world of the demonic. That's what this illustration comes out of. Notice what he says in verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes uh, out of a man... He goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Now, it's interesting that he's saying this sort of illustration because in verse 22, he just cast out a demon. And so now he says... This demon comes out of a man. If a demon comes out of a man, it goes into wilderness areas, waterless places, uh, the Greek says, uh, a place that's dry and, and such. Now, there was an association uh, with in, in Jesus's day with people's mindset of the wilderness, that the wilderness out there is, is kind of scary. Think of places where it's kind of like, ooh, this is kind of eerie out here, or you know what, I don't really want to spend the night here. I, th- I think I want to go back to the campground. I wouldn't like to be out here uh, in the wilderness. And, and that was their association of this wilderness. In fact, in Matthew four one, earlier in the book, it says this. Then Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And there you, you uh, kind of have this connection as well. And so the Bible says that 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 this demon goes out and he goes out into this into into the wilderness area, seeking a place to rest. But he can't find any place to rest. He finds none. Now. Demons are weird. Okay, like this is, and that's an understatement. I know, but demons are weird. Like they're when you when you study demonology in the scriptures. And and by the way, I totally, absolutely, one hundred percent believe in demons. I believe that they're real. I believe that they're fallen angels. I believe that they're around. I believe that they're present and active in the world. I I, I can't. I would have to cease to believe the New Testament if I didn't believe that. But as you study demonology in the scriptures. Demons are weird. They they don't want to go to hell. Now, in one sense, remember when Jesus, the guy had a legion of demons in, 6,000 demons in him, and they said, please don't send us to the abyss. Don't send us back to hell. Demons don't want to go to hell. Now, at first you think that's kind of weird, but then then you start to think, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense, okay? Because hell is not a nice place. Like how is just think of, think of a place where all of the beings that are there are evil and all of the beings are are depraved and hateful and vicious like people don't get along in hell they hate each other think of think of beings that have that have no 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 suppression whatsoever of their evil tendencies. They've just become evil. I, I, I could think of like prisons of, of really nasty people or something like that, where, where there's just this, and demons don't want to go there. They don't want to go back to hell, even though they're from hell and they, they belong in hell. They don't want to go there. And so they're always asking or seeking to go into people. And it's weird because they're, they're like these homeless, weird, demented beings, and they seek shelter in people. They're this restless, wandering, homeless, pathetic, evil beings, and and they and and they want a house. So when Jesus went to cast this demon out, they said, "Don't send us to house. Send us into the pigs. We we would rather go and reside in a pig and be be kind of alone and safe than to go down to that place which is just so awful and so wicked and so hateful, and Satan is there and all these other demons and everybody just hates everybody and such like that." We, no, no. Don't, don't, don't So Jesus is telling this parable of demonology. He says, an unclean spirit goes out of a man. He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then, verse 44, then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. He's calling this person a house that he lives in. I will return to the house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty and swept and put in order. It's like the maid showed up. And uh, and the place is all clean and everything is orderly again. This guy has gotten his life together. He's organized again. He's orderly. He's not some slovenly, you know, self-destructive being like he was when the demon was in him. And as you study demonology, that's what happens. And so he finds the house all cleaned up. Then the demon does something really, really weird because the demons are weird. And it says, look at verse 45. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. So he finds even worse demons, and he invites them to move in with him. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Of course it is. He's got now. He had one demon; it was cast out. Seven demons, and seven of them worse, are, have joined the one demon, and they're back in. And this guy's situation is worse than it was before. What's Jesus getting at here? Well, certainly some some see in this that a possible application of this is the, is an individual, because an individual was just uh, cast out of a demon here. Uh, one one application certainly would be an individual, and that is this: that that partial repentance, partial belief. Uh, will go for a while, but then people will turn back, and and it's as if 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 Jesus casts a demon out of you, then you better make sure that the Spirit of God comes and lives within you, and that you turn to Christ and you you experience Him fully and completely, or else. I'm, and and to be honest with you, I've seen this happen with people. It where they make a partial reformation, a partial they, they kind of come to Jesus uh, uh, sort of they, they need to get something together in their life. They need maybe they have problems in certain areas, some addictions in certain area and they, they or they just need to clean their act up because they're just bad people and and they and they come to the church and they come to Jesus and they, they shows they show they, they say they, they, they read their Bible a little bit and then before you know it, uh, over time. Uh, they begin to slip away and slip away and slip away. And then some of them actually become vehement. I tried that. Uh, that doesn't work. Christianity's for, you know, that kind of a thing. And it kind of gives you a sense that, of the danger of, of going part way. Or of, or, and Jesus is going about to tell a parable. Actually, the next passage that we're going to look at, Jesus is going to tell the parable of the sower and some of the seeds that, that grew up for a, a moment, a little bit, and then were choked out but Jesus actually and so this could apply to the individual but Jesus actually applies it to his generation look at the very last line of verse 45 so it shall be also be with this generation this wicked generation so you see i think Jesus is saying this could be applied to the individual and he might be saying to the guy who de- was demon possessed and is now you know, can now see and speak you know you better you better Go full full blown into God at this point, because you know this could happen to you. But then he says this, so it shall also be with this wicked generation. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, Jesus is saying that he has come. Now think about think about this moment when this was spoken. John the Baptist has arrived on the scene earlier, and John the Baptist calls the nation of Israel to repentance. Come and repent. Come and get yourself ready. The Lord is coming. Be baptized. And this whole national repentance thing takes over. And then one day John sees Jesus come to be baptized, sees the Holy Spirit come upon him, and now Jesus begins his ministry. And he is going out through Israel teaching and preaching and healing and casting out demons casting out demons to the point that 6,000 demons come out of one guy, for goodness sakes. And he's casting out demons and he's, he's he, as it were, he's cleansing Israel. And he's saying to them, a gra- I have come a greater than the temple is here. A greater than Jonah is here. A greater than Solomon is here. I have come. I have come. And he has come to free Israel. And what's happening? What's happening? He's getting pushback. He's getting pushback. People are saying, no, no, wait, we're not sure we actually want you. And Jesus said, listen, I'm telling you, there's no neutrality here. There's no room for neutrality. Look at verse 30. He says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. He's warning these Pharisees. Listen, I've come. I've come. I'm I'm cleaning demons out of your generation, and if you reject me, it's going to be worse for you. And Jesus actually says this later on in his life. In Matthew chapter 23, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Then listen to the last line, see your house is left to you desolate. I cleaned the house, but you have not filled it up. And now it's left desolate, you are desolate. Even more so, Jesus, picture the scene. Jesus has been up all night. He went through a false trial. He's been savagely beaten to the point of death. He's carrying his cross and he's walking through Jerusalem to his death. Women are following him. Uh, His women followers are following him and they're weeping. And Jesus has the presence of mind, knowing he's about to face execution to say this. This is found in Luke 23. Listen to what Jesus says. But Jesus turned to them, to those women, and he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. See, he sees that Jerusalem, Israel, the Jewish people are at this point, are in that generation, are rejecting him. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, breasts which never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us. And to the hills, cover us. He's saying, Great wrath and judgment. And then he says this for if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? I have come and cast out demons, and you opened the gate, and they came back in greater, and you faced judgment. Now, let me apply this to ourselves because I have to tell you, I have to make a confession to you of an experience that I've been having. And I would say, honestly, for the last two decades, for the last two decades, as I have watched what's happened in our culture, here in America and Western culture, and I've seen what's happening, my mind has—I don't know how to say it—but kind of like unwillingly or almost hauntingly has come back to this parable. Has come back to this parable, and and it has to do with our nation. Now, dear friends, our nation, the United States of America, our nation was never a perfect nation by any stretch, never a Christian nation in the sense of a perfect Christian nation, just like there's no perfect Christian, okay? We all have sin. And this nation has been involved in sin, great sin. Some of the aspects of the way we treated the Native Americans, certainly the sin of slavery, these, these, are, these are terrible moral blots upon this country. That being said, though, this country had a lot of biblical Christianity that flowed through its roots, its veins, its culture in so many ways. And it infused it. Biblical Christianity infused this culture. Such simple things as telling the truth, keeping covenant with people, keeping your word, morality, righteousness, integrity, honesty, fearing, respecting God. Even the form of government as it was wrestled through, uh, in many ways reflects biblical Christianity. A premium and, and an importance to family life, generosity, kindness, love, neighborliness. There was a sense that God was at work in this culture and Western culture, because of the influence that the gospel had upon it, not perfectly, and there were times that it was it was it was sinfully uh, dis, di, uh, disjointed, but nevertheless, there was a flow, there was a, a righteousness, there was something that was going on. In fact, sometimes people will say to me, "Why don't we see more demon possession today? Why don't we see demon possession like we saw in the Old Testament?" And I, part of it was that. All of the pagan, see, dear friends, we all. I don't care if you're white, black in this place, if you're Asian. I don't care what our background is. We all came from paganism. Okay, you go back to early, even if, even if, whatever country. We all were pagan. The, the, the Celts and 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 the, the you know the the, the, the all of the people in England and Germany and they were all pagan crazies. And the gospel came and cleansed it and and elevated society in a powerful way. And wherever the gospel goes, it goes, it does that. I was in Zambia and I saw what happened when the gospel came to that country and how it's elevated. It's one of the most delightful countries that you could possibly live in. I I love that place And, and, and such. The house has been swept clean. And then to use John Calvin's phrase, how dangerous it is to open the gate again to Satan and welcome him back. And dear friends, in my heart, I ache believing that that is what's happening in our country. I believe that that is what's happening. We are opening the gates and saying to Satan, welcome back, and we are going to get a new paganism that makes the old paganism look like nothing because seven worse demons will come. Think about our culture right now, dear friends. Think of the sexual degradation of our culture. This is Pride Month, and look at what we're proud of, and how with arrogant pride, we're, 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 we're taking sexual depravity, and we're, we're making it proud in the presence of God. We're opening the gate. Do You know, we do experimentation on human embryos But the organization, the international organization that does that, which I think is an absolute abomination that it's being done, the organization that does that always held itself to a standard that it would only do it for 14 days, and then they would no longer do experimentation. Last week, they lifted that ban, and they put no ban. So now, in a Nazi-type way, we will now be doing experiments on human beings and and, and such. We will continue to do that. Where is that going to lead? What does that mean? We have abortion for any reason on demand is what's, is what's being asked. Any reason on demand up to one day before that child is born. It, when, when labor even begins, that child's brain could be damaged and, and pierced through with, with a scalpel to be killed. And that is to be paid for by the government. Where are we going? Euthanasia, the ultimate self-control. I'm in charge, I will decide when I die. Euthanasia is becoming more and more popular. And then there's a pandemic. And I'm not talking about COVID. One of the greatest pandemics that's going on today in which people, countries, and health departments have called for a state of emergency is the pandemic of suicide. Dear friends, suicide, suicide is just growing and growing and growing around the world. Why? Don't you remember? Don't you remember when the man who had the Legion of Demons, what did he do? He beat himself with rocks. He was bloody. It was self-inflictive and self-destructive. Children are being raised in broken homes, being raised or even not being raised. And generation who has not been properly raised is now raising another generation that has not been properly raised, is gonna now raise another generation that's not been properly raised. And social psychologists and social, uh, sociologists are telling us that these children are coming out fragile and emotionally behind and violent and self-absorbed and almost uncontrollable. The sexual revolution led to the breaking down of marriage which led to cohabitation, which led to gay marriage which is now leading to polygamy and, polyam- and polyamorous relationships in which people are saying there should be no rules at all. And we're living and believing and, and, and finding our identity in our materialism and in our, in our wealth and in our greed and in our self and making man the center of all, of all of all who are. And my question is this, what is happening? Are we opening the gate? Are we saying to Satan, come back in, come back in? Somebody said to me once, I don't, we don't see demon possession like we saw it in the New Testament. I said, you know what, dear friends? I think we're gonna start seeing it again. I've, I've, I've gone into research and done the study. You go into the study and you look at the lives and what happened, the voices that were going on in the lives of those two young men that killed all those kids in Columbine that man who shot all of those people in Las Vegas, that man who went into the Sandy Hook school and and murdered all of those children, you read about those. You read about the voices that they heard. You read about the the temperament change that took place in their life. You read about these things and you realize that demonic is empowering. We're inviting them back. We're proud to have them back. We want them back. Come back, come back is what we're saying as a culture and a country. In the book of Revelation, when Babylon, that wicked city that represents the world system, when Babylon falls, listen to what the, angel, what the angel said. He cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Dear friends, I went to Commodore Perry High School most of us pulled up there in high school with shotguns in our truck. Remember the, remember the racks that you had in the back of the pickup truck where you had guns there? Kids would show up in school, we, just had, we had shotguns, we had guns. We had guns in the trunk of our car. We all had guns, everybody had guns. We'd go hunting after school. We didn't shoot each other. We didn't take those guns into the school. What's the problem? Guns, no guns aren't the problem. We all had guns, we were an armed militia. The problem is that the demonic we have welcomed them back and now Satan is turning all of this on the church oh no these are the people that are in, that are against our progression our progress that we're making oh these are the people that are on the wrong side of history oh these are the people that are slowing us down oh these are the bigots oh these are the homophobics oh, Satan has turned on the people of God well you know what dear friends that's one kingdom that is growing and flourishing in its wickedness, and the Bible has outlined this whole thing. But there's another kingdom, and it comes up in this text. Look at what happens next in the text. Look at verse 46, and look at how Matthew ties all of this together. While he was still talking to the multitudes, what's that mean? He just said you'll invite seven. He'll invite seven demons worse. Woe to this generation. While he was still saying that to the multitudes, look how Matthew ties this all together. Behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak to him. The other gospel writers tell us this. Some word got back to Mary and and his brothers that Jesus was out of control that Jesus was working all the time, all he was doing is teaching and healing, he didn't even have time to eat, and they think he's out of his senses, you need to bring him back, he needs some R and R, you need to go, you need to rescue him, you need to do an intervention. We also know from the rest of scripture that at this point, Mary's the only one who believes in him. His brothers do not believe in him. We know that from the book of John. It's very clearly laid out. His brothers. And so they, they've come to do an intervention. They've come to get him. He's, he's all hung up on religion right now. He's become one of them Bible-believing Christians. We need to stop this guy. We need to bring him home and get him back on the progressive movement. And, uh, and, and that's kind of what's going on here. And notice what Jesus does. Verse 47. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. They couldn't even get in. The crowd was so big. He answered and said to them, to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Rhetorical question. He's not asking for an answer. Rhetorical question. Who? Who, quite frankly, is my mother? Who, quite frankly, are my brothers? and he stretched out his hand toward his disciples, those who were following him and listening to him. And he said here, in Greek I love it, behold, are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my, mo- my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now notice here, he's saying, in the midst of, see, see what's going on here? In the midst of this evil kingdom that's resisting Jesus and these Pharisees, these brood of snakes, there's another thing going on at the same time in the text. Look at chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. This is why I had Dennis read 14. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. There's your intellectual lead of today. Verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Notice, these people are pushing back against the culture. They're pushing back against the Pharisees and their religious experts and leaders. They're pushing back. And they say, I don't don't know about these guys, but I'm following that Jesus. I'm following him. Look at verse 23. Jesus heals this demon-possessed guy. And in verse 24, the Pharisees say, that is because he is Satan. But verse 23, all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? So the intellectual elites of the day didn't understand who Jesus was, but the multitude did. You see, dear friends, Jesus is making a kingdom, and that kingdom is a rival kingdom to the evil kingdom. That kingdom is the kingdom of God, and it's Jesus' brothers and sisters Listen how he refers to it in verse uh, Luke chapter eight verse twenty one. He says this. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In a very similar passage, kind of a parallel theme in Luke 11, some, a woman says something to Jesus. It says this, and it happened that as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, we have a woman like that here, I think. She just kind of likes to talk out during the worship service. And Where is she? There she is. I, 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 I picture you, Phil, is saying this. Um, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nurse you. But he said, more than that, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now let's nuance this a little bit. Jesus is not saying forsake your family. Jesus clearly believes in, 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 in biological families and in that tie. Husbands weren't supposed to leave their wives. Wives weren't supposed to leave their husbands. They were supposed to raise their children. Jesus himself when he was hanging on the cross made sure that John would take care of his mother and that he was fulfilling his family obligation. The Bible says that a man who doesn't provide and take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. No, no, no. The Bible is not saying just forsake family, but what Jesus is saying is in this battle, in this tale of two cities, in this tale of two kingdoms, there is going to come tensions even within the family. And he's already taught on this. Just flip over to chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, verses 34 to 37. Jesus said, "'Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me.'" What is Jesus saying then when he rises up his hands and says, these are my brothers and sisters, these people who hear the word of God and do it, who are seeking in their life to do the will of God. I am more attached to these people than I am to my own biology. I feel a closeness to these people, Jesus saying, I'm uni- Why? They're all in this kingdom together. They're actually in this kingdom together. Jesus felt closest ties to Peter and James and John and Andrew and Bartholomew. He felt a connection to those guys and a connection to to Mary Magdalene and a connection to these women. He felt a connection to them, a family closeness. Why? Because the things that were most defining and most dear to him as a person, he felt they had that connection as well. There's a connection amongst the people of God. Now let's apply this to ourselves here today. Oftentimes in this place, to my joy, to my absolute joy, oftentimes in this place, people use the phrase my church family. I'm very close to my church family. I love my church family. My church family means so much to me, I get so ministered to by my church family. And that's so beautiful. And it's not unusual. There should be more of a closeness, a, a unity, an attachment to believers than unbelievers, even if they're part of your biological family. Why? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, this one isn't on the screen, so don't, worry, don't put it up. Uh, you can't put it up. It's, uh, Paul uses the phrase, the household of God. The household of God. The book of Ephesians talks about the family of God. Philippians talks about fellow citizens in heaven. In other words, the bond that bonds us together as believers is tighter than the biological bond with family it's tighter. You might be very, very close to your family, but if your family doesn't share your faith, there's going to be some, there's going to be less connecting points than there are with people who do share your faith. People who love Jesus Christ more than anything else in this world, people who find in Jesus their joy, their salvation, who want to talk about Jesus, who want to to, to be encouraged in Jesus, who, who pray to Jesus, who trust in him, who love him, who are sitting waiting for him to return, who rest upon him, who hope upon him, who delight in him, who praise him, who glorify him. As soon as you meet another person who has that same experience, you feel so close to him. People who have gone through wars together, people who have gone through dangerous things together, people who have gone through these bonding moments together are really bound to those people sometimes. Christians should be bound to one another because of our mutual, mutual love for Jesus. And that love and bonding that we should have for one another. And when we meet them, and I've had the privilege, thankful to this church in many ways, I've had the privilege of going in other places around the world and meeting people. Being in Africa and meeting my brothers and sisters in Christ in Africa and feeling so bonded to them, feeling this close family connection to them that we are one. Being in the Dominican Republic and meeting my brothers and sisters in Christ and and feeling this family bond to them. I'm closer than I am to my cousins. I'm closer than I am to my uncles and aunts. I'm closer to these people. These are my, they feel like my flesh and blood. I've been in the inner city in 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 in, in, uh, in America, and 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 meet my brothers and sisters in in Hispanic barrios, in in rural America. You just meet strangers, and and all of a sudden you're bonded together. Why? Because of Christ. And there's something even even greater to that that breaks down all of this all of the all of these all of these barriers that normally would be. And that is the fact that we are one new person in Jesus, one new kingdom, one new family, the family of God. The work of God upon the world is to bring about a kingdom in rivalry of that kingdom, in defiance to that kingdom. In, in God is raising up a people, and these will be God's forever family, forever and ever, and that's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And it breaks down everything else. Colossians chapter 3. Listen to how the Bible speaks about this. Colossians 3 10 to 11 says this, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Now look at that verse. The, 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 the social and ethnic uh, uh, division between Greek and Jew broken down. Gone. Between circumcised or uncircumcised, gone. Between educated, sophisticated Greeks and barbarians, even Scythians, we'll get back to them, gone. Between slave and free, gone. Brother and sister in Christ, gone. In Christ Jesus, all in all. And why? Why is that gone? Why are these people so connected? Why are Jews and Gentiles Why are circumcised and uncircumcised, slave and free, educated and barbarian? Why are they connected? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us this. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. The spirit of Christ, the spirit of the living God lives in me and lives in my brother over here, my Jewish brother, lives in my black brother, lives in my Hispanic brother, lives in my poor brother, lives in my rich brother, lives in my intellectual brother, lives in my brother who has limited intellectual ability. It doesn't matter. The spirit of Christ lives within me and I'm one with them and he lives in me and we're one. That's the Bible's message. Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel, the power of Christ, the power of God, This unity of the family of God in the kingdom of God is to break down all of these things. Break down social and economic barriers. So that rich and poor fellowship together, blue-collar and white-collar fellowship together, professionals and laborers fellowship together, they see each other as brothers, they live for one another, they serve one another, they would die for one another. Educationally, PhDs and people with third grade educations see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. See each other with the greatest love. I sat at the feet and learned from and was discipled by a man who has a third-grade education. Son of sharecroppers. A black man from Mississippi. And he was my teacher. And I emulated him and I wanted to be like him. And I had a master's degree and he had a third-grade education. And we were brothers. We still are. Ethnicity race. Race should be broken down. We shouldn't see black and white. We shouldn't see brown. We should see a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, somebody that I love deeply. Dear friends, the early church pulled this off. There were tensions. I get that. There were tensions. They had to wrestle with that. There were insensitivities. They had to wrestle with it, but they pulled this off. And I'll show you the most dramatic way they pulled this off. Scythians showed up. What's a Scythian? Well, let me paint a picture for you for a Scythian. Imagine somebody came in here today, and he was wearing a leopard skin loincloth. He had his hair, big long ponytail back here in his hair, tattoos all over his body, and a human skull hanging from his belt. And that, by the way, that human skull was there for a reason. That was somebody he executed. He killed him. He's proud of that. In fact, he uses his head now to drink. Anybody got some wine? Yeah, here, fill that up, yeah. Conquered this guy. Beat him up. He was almost a caveman. Almost a caveman. And he shows up for church to sit next to Former pharisees who wouldn't even touch a gentile who have come to know jesus and can you imagine when he walked in the church door churches met in homes then he walked in the church door skulls dangling weird tattoos looking like he just got out of a cave and he sat down and all the little hebrew kids pulled next to mommy and daddy and all the rich sophisticated greeks Hold their kids to get a kid. Well, why is here? Why's here? Why's here? Is he gonna kill us? Is he gonna drink drink lemonade out of my skull? And they said, Why are you here? And he said, Because I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. And I I love Jesus Christ with all of my heart. And I could picture in my mind that Hebrew father, that Greek father, standing up and going to their brother and giving him a hug. Welcome, brother. You're my brother now. We love Jesus together. And dear friends, they pulled it off. Paul actually mentions the Scythians as the, as the example out there. Dear friends, there is to be a closeness that we have there are going to be differences, cultural differences, racial differences. There's going to be differences, and we need to learn to be sensitive to that. We need to learn to understand that. We need to learn to listen. We need to learn that maybe if we're, we're hurting somebody, that we, we need to stop saying that or doing that. We need to understand that. I, we, that's what we need. But you know what, dear friends? They pulled it off, and it became the most powerful witness in the world. Do you know the people who are really screwing up in this diversity thing? It's the people who are working the hardest to be diverse. I think the most screwed up diversity thing, where are they working the hardest to be diverse? Universities. They actually have a dean in charge of diversity and sensitivity and understanding. And yet it's the same universities where we have what? Safe places where we can pet kittens so people don't hurt us and say things that will hurt us. And and, and they're always just hyper about all this stuff and they're working so hard to be diverse, but they can't pull it together. Do you know a place where I see the most diversity, the most genuine diversity is in churches that preach the word of God. And do you know why? Number one, we're not focusing on diversity, we're focusing on Christ. And you know what? Christ is pulling people together from all kinds of backgrounds. I I know a lily white, rural, redneck church somewhere, and guess what? They have an Asian American pastor, Named Chris Bowser, they had a man from Guam stand up and share his testimony. They have African American people in the in the in in, in, in the uh, in in the congregation, and they never tried. They've got rich people, and they got people of modest income. They have business owners, and they got people who are hard workers, just work with their hands to make a day's me. And they never talk about diversity. They never even think about diversity. They've got young, and they've got old, but they never talk about diversity. They talk about Jesus and they love Jesus. And those who love Jesus, see Jesus and experience Jesus and know more about Jesus and grow in their faith in Jesus And they just get closer and start rubbing shoulders with people and they don't even notice the differences as much because they see Jesus and they start throwing their arms around each other and they start loving one another and they start hugging one another because they love Jesus together and they know Jesus together. And to me, dear friends, this is one of the most powerful, powerful witnessing things that is happening in the world today, God is bringing people together. And I thank you for being open to that. Dear friends, the war is raging, it's intensifying and there's no middle ground. And we need to resolve ourselves that we are going to be Jesus' brothers and sisters. We are going to be those who hear the word of God and do it. I don't care what they say. I don't care if they cancel us. I don't care if they fire us. I don't care what they do. We will hear the word and God and do it. Why? Because I would much rather have Jesus say to me, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my brother. That's my sister. Than to have the world come up and me and kiss me on the cheek and say, oh, you're one of us now. We need to stay humbly but lovingly resist what Satan is doing in Babylon today and saying, we're not on board. We need to pray and weep and love and minister to this generation who has opened the door to Satan and they're so broken, so much brokenness. We need to pray for them. But in the end, dear friends, there's only going to be one right side of history. There's only be one right side of history, and CNN doesn't have a clue what that means. Fox News doesn't have a clue what that means. Harvard doesn't have a clue what that means. Berkeley doesn't have a clue what that means. People today don't have a clue who keeps saying that what that means. I'll tell you who's going to be on the right side of history. The sky is going to break open someday, and Jesus, with a legion of angels, is going to come down and be enthroned as king, and he's going to judge the world. And everybody will be judged by his standard. Did you hear the word of God? to Do it. Some people are going to get their name called and stand right there before Jesus. And he's going to say, my brother, my sister. At that moment, the whole world were now you were on the right side of history. History is his story, and you were on the right side of history. Are you on the right side of history? Are you all in? Or are you partially in? And is there a door open for the demonic influences that are so prevalent today? Oh, dear ones, please flee to Jesus. Only he has the power to bind Satan and to fill you with his spirit and to give you everlasting life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you and we glorify you that in the midst of the social chaos and meltdown of a beautiful, once beautiful culture, that you are at work, that nothing will stop. The gates of hell will not prevail against your kingdom. That You are raising up a special, precious family, your family, your household. And thank you that you've called us and invited us as you invite everybody right now to come in, to come in and join that family. Oh, Father, if there's any here today who do not know you, who haven't come to you, who haven't surrendered to you, who haven't joined your kingdom, oh, Father, save them, I pray, save them. And for those of us who are seeking to stand, even sometimes it feels like alone in such a cancel culture, help us, we pray, to just Be totally motivated to hear those words from King Jesus. My brother, my sister, help us to hear your word and do it. Thank you. And thank you for this church family and for the blessed tie that binds us together. We pray this in your precious name.